0: Let me begin in prayer. Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us, for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. And so we ask you now to teach us through your word so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Anyone else study Animal Farm in high school English? Yes. Uh, Written in 1945, it was with that line that in the last chapters of his tale, George Orwell delivered his summary critique of um, communism and of capitalism, actually, and the story is is well known. Animals rise up, they organise themselves, and they displace the Joneses, the human owners of the the farm, and begin to run the farm for their own benefit. Thus, the name, Animal Farm, run by animals uh, for animals. But of course it doesn't take long, does it, um, for a new ruling class to emerge, the pigs. And by the end, the pigs are putting up signs, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And this extended parable exposes the reality of the human heart, um, its desire for power, and its habit to abuse authority. Now, we Australians, we have a bit of a love hate relationship with authority. On the surface, we're actually a very compliant bunch, on the surface. But actually, deep down, we have this deep distrust and disrespect for authority. So Australian folklore celebrates who? Someone like a, a Ned Kelly, right, who, who is bullied, tormented by, by the authorities of the day. And we, we idolise this guy as a bit of a hero, right? He quite literally stuck to his guns, didn't he? And, um, and there are other such examples As well. There is something about authority that makes us uneasy. And friends, that is actually because it is often abused, isn't it? It is often abused. You need only look around the world uh, today, look around Australia today. And yet, Christianity has always recognized the need for authority in the society and in the home and also in the church. Church leadership has been a bit of a hot topic ever since the Reformation 500 years ago. Quite a, quite a few models out there, okay? So I'll just, I'll just share a few of the models. So for example, there's, there's the anointed leader model, okay, where the pastor um, is, is untouchable and unquestionable. Um, there's the ecclesiastical hierarchy model where there's a hierarchy of leadership from deacon all the way up to bishop or cardinal or even pope, or there's the um, CEO board model type of church where this, where the pastor sort of acts as a CEO and the elders as a sort of uh, board. Um, and yet as I shared last week, we, we believe that in the Bible uh, we have been given us a model model as to how churches should be led, and that is by a plurality of elders. And and, and, uh, we'll meet another elder, as I said, a little later today. Now, last week we began thinking about who elders are, um, and then we started to look into what elders do. And as I said, there's probably a whole bunch of different ways in which you can capture what it is that elders do. But I've gone with elders feed God's flock, that was last week, Elders lead God's flock, elders protect God's flock, and elders care for God's flock. So there are our four, there's the four-week series. So last week we already did Elders Feed God's Flock. This week we're thinking we're thinking about how it is that elders lead God's flock. And we're going to begin actually uh, by reading a little of Psalm 78. Why Psalm 78? Well, Psalm 78 recounts the History of Israel, beginning with um, from when God delivers them from slavery out of Egypt. Okay, so in Psalm 78, I've got some verses up here on the screen. <coughs> in Psalm 78, uh, verse 52 reads But he brought his people out like a flock, he led them like sheep through the wilderness, he guided them safely so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. And so he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country his right hand had taken, drove out nations before them and allotted their land to them as, as an inheritance. And he settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. Can you notice once again that, that sheep-shepherd imagery? This is really, really strong, isn't it? But Psalm 78 actually ends like this. He chose David, his servant, this is king David, And took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skilful hands, he led them. God personally chose David out from among the sheep and called him into leadership. And this psalm ends by describing his leadership David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. And I believe that this short summary captures two essential components of what it means to be an effective leader in Christ's church. So integrity of heart, skillful hands. So integrity of heart has to do with character. And as we touched on last week, so many of the biblical qualifications for eldership have to do with a man's character. Remember, character is... Uh, Who a person is and what they can be counted on to do. Who a person is and what they can be counted on to do. So in other words, elders' lives are to consistently reflect their beliefs. Elders' lives are to consistently reflect their beliefs. So Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. He says, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and And your hearers. You see, elders are to lead by example. And so they are to be good examples. Okay? What goes without saying needs to be said. No one is going to heed the spiritual authority or leadership of someone if there is a discrepancy between what they believe and what they do. A thoroughly godly character is a crucial component of how it is that elders lead God's flock. But elders must also have Skillful hands to lead. That is, they must possess some leadership skills. So Paul writes, for example, (coughs) that elders must be able to teach. He, he, He writes that a few times, actually. Now, that may not require any leadership skills whatsoever if that simply means communicating information. But we all know that's actually not teaching, is it? That's not teaching, just communicating information. So Paul writes elsewhere, he uses this same language elsewhere to encourage Timothy. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. who will be able to teach others also. So being able to teach is about making disciples who make disciples. And friends, this does require all sorts of leadership skills. Don't get me wrong. Elders don't need to be charismatic, visionary, entrepreneurial geniuses, okay? But they do need to grow in things like prayer and discernment and counselling and spiritual formation and hospitality and conflict resolution and cultural analysis and delegation and strategic planning, just to name a few. Elders are not mere figureheads. They're not mere figureheads. They're actually leaders. So British Pastor, teacher, um, Derek Tidbull he writes this. He writes, Skillful shepherds will lead the sheep. They'll not be content for the flock to remain as they are, nor even a manager more efficiently. They'll seek the growth of the flock numerically. They will also seek their progress individually and corporately toward maturity. They'll not be managers, for managers deal in seen realities, but leaders, for leaders deal in unseen potentials. That is what it means to be a leader. A leader is someone who takes responsibility for others and takes them where they wouldn't have gone on their own. And it's actually really interesting to reflect for a moment on that sheep shepherd imagery. It doesn't quite work here in Australia. I don't know how much time you've spent with sheep here in Australia. Uh, our family's heading around on holidays for a few weeks um, and we're actually going to go visit um, uh, extended families at their sheep farm out in central New South Wales. But if you spend time with sheep, you will know that sheep must be rounded up. <laughs> Do it with a dog, four-wheeler, whatever. But sheep must be rounded up and they must be driven from paddock to paddock. Right? But in the Middle East, in the in biblical context, <coughs> shepherds actually led the sheep from the front. Now, they were dealing with an entirely different breed of sheep, okay? However, they actually led from the front. They would actually, sheep would actually follow their shepherds. Churches lacking strong leaders are actually just left to wander. Friends, elders are not mere figureheads. They are leaders. But the reality is this, that we, and I speak I'm speaking of myself here, but also the other elders. We're going to fail you. We are not always going to lead you with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. But um, neither did King David, did he? So Psalm 78, those verses about King David, they actually present a pretty idealised picture of David, don't they? Yeah, after all, didn't he commit adultery with Bathsheba, murdered Uriah? Didn't he fail in the leadership of his own son, Absalom? I mean, for all his great moments, he had some colossal failures. But friends, I believe actually this is why he is such a model leader. So Psalm 78 must be read alongside other psalms, such as Psalm 51, right? And in Psalm 51, we see David cry out to God in weakness, And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And we see him plead with God for renewed integrity. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The writer of Psalm 78 is not ignoring uh, David's weaknesses in character and in skill. He actually counts David's response to these weaknesses as part of his integrity of heart. David is a model leader because he knew that he wasn't a model leader. And we're going to miss the point here unless we see that Jesus is the greater David. So, Psalm 78 points us back to David as a way of pointing us forward to Jesus. There really is only one shepherd leader in all the Bible, in all of history, who was truly led with integrity of heart. And with skillful hands. And so as elders, our hope is actually not in our integrity and skills. It is in Jesus' integrity and skills. And friends, as those entrusted to us, your hope should not be in our integrity and skills, but in Jesus' integrity and skills. And it is as uh, we, your elders, um, look to Jesus and point you to him through our leading that two things happen we are humbled and so we can honestly admit the gaps in our character and skill and strengthened so that we may earnestly pursue growth in character and skill jesus is the one who ultimately shows how it is that we ought to lead god's flock you see that the world's default model of leadership Practiced over centuries and across cultures, and we heard some of the the examples of leaders across centuries and across cultures. The default model of leadership is about being served. There's a hierarchy, and the leader is at the top, and the followers serve the will of the leader. They fulfill the desires of the leader, they further the interests of the leader. This was and is the world's paradigm of leadership. And in our Bible reading, the mother of two of these disciples, she came to Jesus with her sons and asked if they could get in on it. But Jesus turned the conventional thinking about leadership on its head, didn't he? He introduced this whole new paradigm of leadership. So he gathered his disciples. By now, you'll have heard about the plight of our chickens. So we started with six. And that very quickly became five. I won't tell you how. Um, We're now down to two. Good news story. This is a good news story, though. Um, (laughs) We didn't have to bury them like we did the other one. Um... Turns out three of them were roosters, okay? And this, is only, this has only become evident um, quite, quite recently. So they've begun trying to assert their male dominance, right? By crowing, by fighting, by drawing blood even. And um, so much to our kids' um, sadness, I suppose, we had to give them back to the farm. I don't know what happens from there on. I don't want to... I don't want to know what happens. I've not told my kids what I think might happen from there on. We've given them back to the farm. Eldership is not like that. <laughs> um, it is not a competition among males for dominance. It's not. Okay? Okay? Chris, we'll we'll address that later, buddy. (laughs) It's not a competition among males for dominance. Jesus expects the leaders of his church to be servant leaders just like he was. He was the ultimate servant leader. He is our model, our archetype, our pattern. The night before he died, after he washed his disciples' feet, Jesus said this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Occasionally during conversation, mostly outside these four walls, um, at a cafe or um, on the street, someone will refer to this as my church. It, just, it grates me, and I always correct them. This is not my church. This is Jesus' church. Jesus says, I will build my church. Pastors and elders are mere representatives of Christ. Any authority that elders have is a delegated authority from the head of the church. So elders are Christ's servants and your servant leaders. And yet the Bible is also clear that we ought to submit to them. Hebrews 13, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It's actually really hard to explain what is so difficult about pastoring and eldering to people who are unfamiliar with it. It's very, very difficult. But it can be very burdensome for all sorts of different reasons. But you can make our job easier you can make our job easier by encouraging us and supporting us and, if necessary, accepting our spiritual admonishment and biblical discipline even. Yes, there are many, too many church leaders who abuse their authority. And these guys need to be held accountable and, in many cases, removed From their position of authority. But by submitting to godly authorities, we're actually submitting to God. No, your elders are not perfect. No, they don't always get things right. Yes, they too are sinners, just like you. And so be gracious. Be gracious to one another, but be gracious to your elders too. We might even need an extra measure of your grace given that the responsibilities that we carry and the fact that we're going to have to give a greater account before God. So please pray for your elders here at TNPC. In Jesus we have the model leader and in the Bible we have, we have a <clears throat> model for leadership of the church and so we can, under God, together, both lead and submit graciously. We can do that because of who Jesus is and what he's done. We began thinking about one of the, one of the greater leaders in the Bible, King David. <coughs> and so I'm going to close with some of his last words as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 23 it says the god of israel spoke the rock of israel said to me when one rules over people in righteousness when he rules in the fear of god he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning <clears throat> like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. What a beautiful description of healthy authority and its fruit. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your elders here at TMPC and we ask that they might lead with integrity of heart and skillful hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Chris.